right, welcome everyone to an episode of the Sylvester Sloan Fan Podcast Network episode. I am Ryan, and with me, as always, for this special occasion is Craig and Doug. I'm Ryan of Going the Distance, the Rocky Series and Creed podcast. Uh, I'm Craig Cohen, and uh, I'm part of the Sylvester Stallone Fan Podcast Network, and I am the host of the occasional Slycast podcast. Occasional. <laughs> Biannually. <laughs> I think that's being generous. <laughs> <laughs> But we will say that when uh, Craig drops an episode, it puts our shows to shame. That is for sure. That's very kind of you. For That's... sure. Well, I'm Doug, and I'm one of the hosts of Rocky Minute, where we cover the Rocky movies one minute at a time. I got nerve to make fun of you, Craig. Cause <laughs> I was going to say, where's Rocky Three, buddy? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to retract my previous statement. We have two seasons finished. We're working on season three. Season three has been my Everest. But... It's been your Judge Dredd. It's been my Judge Dredd. <laughs> That's a new standard for an unreachable task. Today we're covering Backtrace. But before we say anything about the movie, before we get into the movie, because I know once that train starts going, it's going to be a unstoppable force. So but before we get into this, talk a little bit of Rocky Talk. Uh, we've talked about it on the Going the Distance podcast a little bit, but I'd love to hear, Craig and Doug, your thoughts on the footage that we've seen so far of what Sly seems to be working on regarding the director's cut of Rocky Four, and what are your hopes and what's your desire, what's your overall feeling regarding this upcoming director's cut that's supposed to be out from Sly, he said, this Thanksgiving. The anniversary, the what 35th anniversary of the film. Well, the funniest thing is calling it a director's cut because – a director's cut, at least in my understanding, implies that it was Sly's first cut of the movie before he showed it to the studio and made whatever changes they requested. So this is more like a recut, a revisit, 35th anniversary director's cut. I don't know. It seems disingenuous to call it a, a director's cut because that implies it's the film that Sly had in mind in 1985, which we know isn't true. You're right about the title director. What would you title it then? 35th anniversary cut or Redux, like Apocalypse. Redux, yeah. I mean, they did that with Apocalypse Now, Final Cut, which Oliver Stone's done, Ridley Scott's done. Definitive cut. You think of all the things that Sly has at his disposal that he could spend time working on. And now, granted, I do appreciate the fact that this is his film. He's not, you know, I mean, I, I even talked about, hey, let's get Rocky Five out there. Let's get Avelson's cut out there. Well, unfortunately, Avelson's not, no longer with us. But we know what his cut was. We have the bootlegs. Right. So I at least appreciate that Stallone isn't screwing with somebody else's film. But at the same time, I wonder how much of this is a direct result of Creed Two, and his experiences on Creed Two, because all of a sudden he wants to add more weight and gravity and emotional impact to Rocky Four, which... It was never that kind of film, even though we do deal with Apollo dying. You know, it's not an emotional film. I mean, it's sad to see Apollo die, but... Was it? <laughs> <laughs> well, for Carl Weathers, I'm sure it was. <laughs> but, uh, but at the same time, I haven't watched any of the footage yet. I want to kind of see it as its finished product, because as you saw on the Facebook group and on Twitter... I was really, really disappointed to see that he's getting rid of Paulie's robot. And knowing the history of Paulie's robot, you did a, an interview with the guy that created Paulie's robot. We know why Paulie's robot's in that movie. Mm -hmm. 
for Sly to dis- just like dispose of it so casually, it, it makes me wonder how they're going to work that movie. I mean, do they have footage without the robot from that birthday scene? Speaking of the interview, is Robert Dornick, the creator of Seiko, the robot, and the robot existed before the film, and that's uh, it was actually Sly's mom saw it on Donahue or something, and of course she had a grandson with the condition of Sergei that he has, and she called Sly says, look, you know, this robot is, helps with kids with special needs. Maybe Sergei would like it. And that's how that relationship formed. And Robert Dornick did the voice work for Seiko the Robot in the movie. That's his voice. And he did that voice in, in, during my interview, by the way. It's uh, quite good. But, oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what's so offensive about that robot? It's a film that was – it's a product of the 80s. I think Sly is doing all that he can to re- erase the memory of Sergei. Oh, well, I don't know, man. Sometimes I wonder. I don't, I don't know if there even is a memory of him anymore in Sly's mind. It's weird. I, mean, I, I will say it's weird that it's never discussed. Yeah, he, he went what, – what talk show was it that he said he, he got the robot idea from some pizza joint, a poster at a pizza joint? It's so like, weird. Come it's on, so weird. Man. Robert Dornick's not a liar. Like, like maybe his version – no, his version's not wrong, I'm sorry to say, because that was even what came out in the day back in the, when this first came out. I, I don't know. Interesting enough, in that interview with Robert Dornick, the creator, he mentioned that they filmed additional scenes that the producers of the show were cut out because they thought it might have been too – I'd say silly is a word, but a little bit too light on the feet of, but there was a lot of more comedy moments that, so when I heard about the director's cut, I actually honestly thought there'd be more robot, that they would actually have yeah. more of those interactions with Polly and the robot. And it's the opposite, like you were saying, that it's cut out. Yeah, I almost wonder, Ryan, if Stallone has false memories of that final cut. Who knows the last time he watched Rocky Four before he came up with the idea for this director's cut, but maybe he remembers that first cut, that director's cut, if you will, that's got all the silly robot shit in it. Well, did either of you guys read the novelization from it? Mike Kunda's no. cursing at me right now, but no. But no, okay. <laughs> no, he's not. He doesn't uh, listen to our show. <laughs> uh, I didn't read the novelization, but I listened to like the audiobook rereading of it. There's a lot, a lot in there uh, that was cut out. A lot. Is there any dramatic moment you can think of that might translate well in the film if it was filmed? They got a lot into the background of Ivan Drago, but it was all narrative. So they're really probably not going to put that in there. There was a lot of Apollo training and like kind of phoning in his training and Rocky's training him. And he's kind of getting upset with Apollo because Apollo's not taking it seriously. What does that really do for the movie, though? Like... I wish they will show the uh, dance rehearsal footage <laughs> like that. <would> be <laughs> I'm pretty sure there, were, there was some more um, some stuff back at Mighty Mix, too. OK. You know, we find out what happened to Gazzo and, and his driver. Oh, really? Also was a narrative, but they said that Gazzo and his driver pissed off the wrong people and two in the back of the head. So, wow, that's pretty dark. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, that again, it was it was a narrative. I don't know how they how they squeeze that in. But well, Craig, you kind of I think you touched a little bit of what we do know about the narrative being not very dramatic in the Rocky Rocky Four, and I think that's probably what Sly is doing is he's taking out the robot, taking out anything that indicates a little bit of too much silliness or eighties uh, silliness, because there are a couple moments in Rocky Four that are very dramatic and very cool and almost gritty, and I think maybe that's what he's going for, i.e. 
the uh, run up the mountain when he yells Drago. That's one of the most powerful moments in all of Rocky franchise. I've seen like this, the manhood, I don't know how to word it, They just the champion of Rocky personified on top of that mountain yelling, Drago! I mean, that Stallone yell that he's so good at. Yeah. Even with the mirror where he's peeling the pictures off the mirror as he goes. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, there there is a lot of heavy stuff in that movie. We've said it a million times on this show, you know, you always give Sly the benefit of the doubt. Right. This one for me has been a real head scratcher. Sort of like Backtrace. <laughs> okay. We've te- Speaking of that. Who chose that movie, by the way? This movie was up for a poll. Now, granted, we kind of purposefully put three, maybe what we felt were weaker, I'm being generous here, weaker films of Stallone's career, maybe less known films, less viewed films. We had this one, Backtrace versus uh, Reach Me. And what was the third choice? Whatever Doug chose, right? Uh, yeah, I don't even remember what it was. Some other piece <laughs> of shit. <laughs> So, Backtrace, I think, marks our most recent review of a Stallone film. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, spoiler alert, I think we're going to spend more time discussing the movie Backtrace than the people did creating, discussing <laughs> the, cre- the creation and the writing process of this film. And, but let's, and filming. Yeah, so let's <laughs> So let's twelve days. Stop. Is that, oh, I'm sorry. No, no. Well, before, yeah. Well, well, let's get into the specs a little bit. Sure, why not? So the film, like Doug just said, it took twelve days of filming. What does that tell you? When you, when <laughs> That's you hear, why I was on set for a day of it. Yeah, he was at two locations, right? It, well, three. The car. Yeah. Well, the crime the scene, scene, I guess, which could have easily, scene, yeah. which could have easily been filmed just around the corner of the cement warehouse. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, so there was, and then there was the police station scene, and then there was, of course, the drive in the car back to the cement warehouse, like we do with every movie. Let's uh, talk about its specs. In North America, it made zero. <laughs> <laughs> well, it didn't come out, right? I mean, it was a straight to straight to Blu-ray or DVD. <laughs> Sorry, North America. Well, North America had a zero at box office, but for inflation. <laughs> uh, but then worldwide, it did make four hundred fifty thousand dollars in select theaters worldwide. So the box office draw of Stallone is very very strong still. <laughs> Half a million. Half a million worldwide. I, that's. <laughs> Sorry, I just I think we could, the three of us could put out a, a movie and, and do that kind of business worldwide as co- cohesive, uh, cohesive, cohesive as this one. Let's talk about the thought process of how, how did this happen? How did well, this director get Sly to be in this film, even if it's for a two day shoot? This is the most frustrating thing about Sly. And again, we've talked about this on Slycast. We've talked about it on our joint shows is just the s- squandered opportunities that Sly has. This was at. What this came out after Creed, uh, yeah, but before Creed Two, this right? Twenty eighteen. So Creed Two came out in twenty eighteen. Okay. Yeah, yeah. After Creed, you'd think Golden Globe. What he nomination? Did he win that Golden Globe? Yes, I think he did. Yeah, Oscar nomination. Guy should be able to write his ticket in Hollywood. He must have owed the guy a favor, right? Slice worth. Almost five hundred million dollars. The guy does not need to work another day. He can he can put on five hundred pounds, never do a day of work in his life. Twenty years ago, he could have stopped working. So, do he you think Shooter McGavin called him up? Well, this is the thing. Why? Why did he do this movie? Or Matthew Modine? <laughs> well, this this film had a six million dollar budget. Is that like the going rate for these straight to video? I can't films? imagine that most straight to video movies 
have a budget over 10 million. Yeah. I, mean, I did a couple of episodes with Sean on you must break this podcast. And the two that I did with him, actually, I don't know about the first one, but the second one was definitely $6 million. And I was like, wow, that's like right on the nose for the same one as this. Well, a lot of those movies shoot in like Canada, Prague or Canada oh, or Bulgaria. Yeah. This yeah. one was filmed in New Orleans, right? Uh, Atlanta. Atlanta. Okay. Sure. Or, or Athens, Georgia, some like outside of Atlanta, not even in the city. But, well, Atlanta gives those huge tax incentives. Jersey used to too, Doug, before Christie got stupid and took them all away and oh, wonderful. the film industry left. <laughs> a wonderful but I don't know if government. you remember, Doug, there was a studio in Hoboken where they used to film TV shows and they filmed the movie um, yeah, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind there. Yeah, what, uh, there was – there's another one that was filmed there too. I can't remember. I can't think of it right now. But, but yeah, like Jersey yeah, had but, like a legitimate film industry growing, and then, well, I don't want to get into it. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. So honestly, why? Does, Ryan is such a polite Canadian. Why, <laughs> he is. <laughs> well, I might not be very polite talking about this film. We had a great uh, review. Our last review was Nighthawks. Boy, that seems like freaking. Gone with the Wind, Casablanca quality, Godfather quality compared to this. Why does Sly say, you know what? I've got nothing better to do on a Saturday, Sunday. I'm doing this. What's the point? Like, what is the point? Why mar any legacy? You're like you're saying he just did Creed and Creed Two. He, you know, even Ramble Last Blood was on the dock. Why is he like wasting his time? What is going like, on going here? Back, going back to Sean's show. Dolph Lundgren made all these straight-to-video movies because that was putting food on his table. Yeah, yeah. But like you said, Ryan, like he didn't need to do this. What goes through his mind? Maybe Sly doesn't like spending time at home with his wife and his daughters. I mean, <laughs> Instagram would, would <laughs> say differently. Yeah, no kidding. All right. The, the other interesting thing about this, too, is he didn't even seem that interested in it because – we all know we've talked about Sly's height before, but in this movie, I think everybody in the movie is taller than him. There's even a scene where he's walking next to a woman and she's taller than him. Yeah, he he dialed it in. Like he literally Yeah, dialed like he it didn't in. like he Bruce Willis did. Okay, well speaking of Bruce Willis, this director, <laughs> what's his name? Brian Miller? Sure. Okay, well I looked him up. Okay, well I bring this up because let's just say his name is Brian Miller cuz it really it doesn't matter. He's a nobody. Is it Brian? It might know it. Not no, Ryan. it's uh, it's Brian Miller, I believe. This is his thing. He does direct-to-video movies. There's a business like, look, I'm not. How should I say this? I'm not opposed to the idea that people do direct-to-video. This is kind of mar- streaming, especially in COVID. You could almost argue, hey, direct-to-video might just video on demand. It might just be the way things Content's are now. Content's king. Yeah. Content's king. Sure. Uh, this guy's directed about seven to eight movies in the last five years with Bruce Willis alone. So he's definitely has he has his finger on the pulse of A-list stars who are not doing A-list roles anymore. And so it's kind of sad to see Sly kind of like, oh, I'll, I'll try this out. I'll do this. But watching this film, I wonder, like, somebody still approached Sly. Obviously, his agent. I don't know quite how it works. His agent says, hey, this guy's worked with Bruce Willis. You know, he's done some decent, which he hasn't. If you look at the reviews, all of his movies have received horrible reviews online with critics, fans, just pure drudgery. But I wonder, was it just, hey, of the $6 million budget, hey, Sly, here's a million dollars for two days' work. I mean, that could easily just be all it took. Maybe, yeah. And he got to work with Shooter McGavin and Matthew Modine, who I felt more sorry for. Who's Shooter McGavin? Is that the uh, Christopher McDonald actor? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The guy, what, what, what role was that, that again? 
that Adam Sandler movie. Uh, that was uh, oh, what, Happy, oh, Happy Gilmore. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the whole time, every time he came on screen, I'm like, hey, it's Shooter McGavin. <laughs> Beaver or oh, Beaver's right. father from the Leave of the Beaver movie. Oh, right. Yeah. I, I recognize him once I saw him. One of those character actors is in a lot of things. Let's talk about the film. I went in blind. I didn't see a trailer as I as I usually do. I didn't I didn't see a trailer. One of our listeners, Seiko, by the speaking of Seiko the robot, Seiko, he messaged me seeing that we were doing backtrace. He goes, Oh, I've never heard of this film. He says, Let me go check out the trailer. So he watched the trailer and he said, Oh, they just tell the movie in the whole trailer, so I don't need to watch it now. And it looks terrible. And that was his response. So he said he's gonna base whether or not to watch the movie based on our review on this episode. And didn't Andy warn us about this movie? Probably in 2018 when it came out, <laughs> that like it was a bait and switch, that it wasn't a Stallone movie. Yeah, yeah I heard that he wasn't in it that much. Maybe because I was expecting him to be in it for like five minutes. I was actually surprised. But no, for an hour and a half movie, he, it's a if you want to talk about a cast movie of whether or not the, all these actors are horrible, by the way. But if oh my uh, goodness, it's it's oof. it seemed like every five minutes it was about to break into a porn <laughs> film. These actors all looked like scuzzy, greasy, this is what they do with their clothes on type acting. I, and I, I mean that with no disrespect to the adult film industry people, but it is it is seen these guys could have easily been a part of uh, what you'd see on the internet. Yeah, but the other thing about it is Sly's character, you could take him out of the movie and the movie's no different. Well, it's not written for Sly. But for I mean him. that character, aside from right. the end, the oh. character serves no purpose. He doesn't drive the story. It's almost like imagine they they're like, hey, we've got this footage of Sly being a, like a cop. What can we do with it? Oh, let's build a movie around it. It almost seems as absurd as that. Hold on, you want to talk about absurd? <laughs> you mentioned. <laughs> Sorry, we can we. <laughs> the gates are Sly open. is seventy two years old in two thousand eighteen. How is he still working as a cop? <laughs> How is he not retired? Maybe he's 60? No, no. Enough. Enough with this. No, he looks 72. Enough of this. In New Jersey, uh, police are forced into retirement at age 65. I was going to ask you that, Doug. You could have argued the start of this film, he could have been at his retirement age because it fast forwards seven years later. So Sly's character, whose name is Sykes, by the way. Have you met anybody in your life with last name? Hey, Sykes. Sykes from uh, from White Snake. Okay, fair and Blue enough. Murder. Oh, yeah. there you go. Wow. Okay. Well, how do you spell it? S Y K E S. Yeah, that's how John Sykes spells it. Oh, yeah. Okay, all right, all right, fair enough. I don't know why it just seemed like a funny name to me. How many detectives are there until the age of seventy-two? At the age no. of seventy-two yeah. or even sixty-five, is that is that normal to retire as a sixty-five-year-old detective? I mean, if you're a detective, maybe because okay. you know it's they have more longevity than beat cops. Could he be a consultant? Could, he could be, or he can like retire and come back as like a civilian police director or something. But you know, he's not. He's a detective. He is on duty at seventy-two years old. <laughs> All right, you're 72. Let's say he got on when he was 25. That's almost a 50 year career. Yeah, and he's and he, he like chief of police or something. Yeah, or and he's never made rank. He's never made sergeant or lieutenant <laughs> or captain or major or anything. But he's a hell of a shot. He's a hell of a shot. So the movie opens with three gentlemen in a vehicle. I saw the poster when I brought it up on. Um, I think I watched it on Hulu. And I didn't even realize that was Matthew Modine on the poster. So when I see one of the guys was Matthew Modine, I was like, whoa, this is Matthew Modine. Like, 
Married to the Mob. Full Metal Jacket, yeah, he's great in that. Joker. Yeah, Full Metal Jacket. I mean, like, uh, Stranger Things. He was in the, what, the first season of Stranger Things. Like, I mean, I'm like, whoa, Matthew Modine, this is, we're cooking with grease here. Can I give you my uh, Matthew Modine impersonation for this film? Uh, this is where <laughs> seeing this on camera is what it's all about. For yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just say, fragments. <laughs> fragments. I know this place. I know you. Fragments. <laughs> I know. I know this place. I've been here before. What are you seeing, Mac? Fragments. All I see is fragments. Fragments. I see fragments. Why do I know this place? Where are we? <laughs> you know, I was going to say that I liked Matthew Modine right up until that fragment scene. I thought he did a decent job, first half. And he was clearly... Th- the only actor that was actually attempting to do anything in this movie. Stallone wasn't shooter. McGavin wasn't all the, the porn actors weren't, I mean <laughs> the acting and Ryan, I'm glad you pointed out. Cause it was atrocious. Like oh, it was- the one scene where like, Sly's talking to like the lady about amnesia, that's gotta be the worst acting I've seen in a major movie in, in 10 years. It's fairly catastrophic retrograde amnesia. You think it was real or you think he was faking? I believe it was real. This brain imaging says it was real. Every neurological test we've ever done said it was real. Detective, this was the worst case I've seen. It took him six months to learn how to walk again and another 12 just to learn how to speak. Hmm. A man's lucky to have survived. Let me ask you something. If it wasn't an axe, how'd he get out of this place? Have you had any visitors lately? I've been here four years, and other than police investigators and the occasional reporter, no one's come calling. It's just a terrible movie, but it, it's almost bad enough to be funny. Almost. You know how, like, the room, it's it's not supposed to be bad, but it's, it's just a bad movie. It doesn't quite push the cult level of bad, but there's dialogue, for example. Well, let's just talk about it. So he's talking to the doctor. Oh, no, we got it. Well, we, well, let's go in chronological order because there's people that have not seen this film and they're not going to watch this film after we've talked about it or they might watch it just to see how much of a train wreck it is. So the movie opens with three gentlemen in a vehicle who've just finished digging up something because they say, put some dirt on the shovel, which I guess is indicate that if somebody looks at the shovels, we'll get to that, that they see that the shovels have been used to bury something. I don't know if you caught that at the very beginning. So they go, they go to this meat place to uh, give money over and, the, and they've robbed the bank, right? And the people that have come to collect their share are like, well, where's our money? And they're like, no, there's three of us. There's one of you. We did all the dirty work robbing this bank. Uh, so we're only going to give you a quarter of what we did. There's three of us. We took whatever the amount was. It's $20 million. Who the hell are you? Never mind that. Where's the money? There you go. Where's the rest of it? We took our share. That's your cut. Let's that go. wasn't the deal. I know, Mac. Yeah, well, it is now. That's got to be less than half. You're damn right it's less than half. 20 million split four ways. Three of us pulled the job, five million apiece. The rest is yours. Any one of those bills could have been marked. How do you expect to launder it? Let us worry about it. Whoa, 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 hey, whoa, relax. Look. Where's our money, whoa. asshole? Whoa. Easy, guys. Whoa. 
Where's the money? Calm down. All right? No, we buried the money. You kill us, nobody gets anything. Just calm down. He's everybody. bluffing. Just relax. This We're isn't home. the plan. You're right. It isn't part of the plan. Now, I'm a little bit confused. Did they have 20 and they were going to give them a quarter of the 20, so they should only have 15? The number was very confusing about what they had and what they were going to give them. I didn't think past the line. As soon as the line came out, I forgot it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so... They were double-crossed. The people that were helping them rob the bank, I guess they were the intel people, maybe the people that maybe... They didn't really explain how they helped. Did you catch how they helped them rob the bank? Okay. All right. Uh, (laughs) So these three guys, though, they worked, as Miner said, they worked at the cement factory itself. Well, one of them was a guard at the bank, right? Or he stole somebody's identity. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The three people in the vehicle at the beginning, two of them got killed. Matthew Modine's character survived the shootout. I thought yeah, they were yeah. guards. They helped him rob the uh, okay the bank. Okay. The newsreel that comes up next, that one of the dead guys was an, a guard for the bank. Law enforcement officials are following several leads in what authorities are calling one of the largest bank robberies in state history. Over $20 million was stolen from Central City Bank in the morning hours of Monday, April 8th. Ike Foster and John Truby died at the scene. The third subject, Donovan McDonald, remains in a coma, following injuries sustained during the robbery. At the press conference earlier today, Captain Stover of Metropolitan Police Department released updated information regarding the alleged suspects. Our major crimes unit is investigating multiple leads. Our preliminary results indicated that one of the suspects, John Truby, was employed by the security firm that was contracted at Central City Bank. We're still reviewing those findings with our partners in the FBI. We don't want to jump the gun until we have more definitive details. Next question. Okay, so for our listeners, if you're tracking, okay, so three people in the vehicle. If you're backtracing with us. Two guys got killed that robbed the bank. Matthew Modine's character got injured in the shootout. He was left there to die. He wasn't killed. The two bad guys that did the shooting got away, but they didn't have the money because the money was hidden. We'll get to where it was hidden later. And then Sylvester Stallone and the crew come, well, they come to the crime scene, and it turns out that this guy goes into a coma, or sorry, into an amnesic state for seven years. So it goes seven years later, we see Matthew Modine's character in a psychiatric prison ward, and he doesn't remember anything previous to the shootout. But he's in custody because he still committed the crime, but he doesn't remember doing the crime. So it's kind of a one of an interesting, I guess you could say, it could have been an interesting philosophical discussion, but it's never it never is. He's in the psychiatric prison ward. During the seven-year period, this robbery has just shocked the nation it has become the major case for this city that they have been investigating for seven years and they have been going back to that okay guys they went to that cement factory apparently for months they said months remember that old cement factory used to work at and we come through that place for months didn't find a damn thing maybe we weren't looking in the right place they went there for months and couldn't find the hidden money stuck in a pipe. Yeah, $20 million is a lot of money. And that, those bags were not big enough for $20 million. No, not even close. How many thousand single bills would that be for $20 million worth? I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not a mathematician. 200000 Yeah. Another thing that they didn't really articulate, but they mentioned later on in the film, is he wasn't locked up because – they thought he robbed the bank. He was locked up because they thought he shot those two guys. 
Because wasn't there a thing about like ballistic bullets that killed the guys wasn't matched to any weapons on scene? That would just tell me that the people, there was people involved in the shootout that weren't there anymore. None of the weapons used at the crime scene matched the ballistics. Someone else had to be involved. And they took their weapons with them. Yeah. It wasn't even a, a choice <laughs> so in, what, in the police's Yeah, mind. so what they're saying is, is that there was a shootout. We got three bodies, one still surviving. They were able to track bullets from the three dead people to their weapons, but there was also rounds on the ground that didn't belong to the weapons left at the crime scene. So that would tell me personally that maybe there's people at the shootout that took the weapons with them, the survivors. Mm-hmm. No, but they thought <laughs> Mac killed those two guys. We're, now we're seven years ahead. Nothing has happened on the fact that we see Matthew Modine's character, McDonald is his name. It's now seven years later. He seems to be a calm, rational type person. He's just he's almost innocent. Like, I just don't remember. The people keep asking me questions. And I don't remember. We'll get to how he gets out of the psychiatric ward, prison ward. Stallone's character talking about the He's talking to the doctor who has been working with McDonald. He asks the doctor, apparently he's been there for years, because as I mentioned, he's been going to visit him for years, trying to get information. But he asks the doctor, do you think he's faking it? It's a long con. Well, not just that, but the fact that this investigating police officer, who apparently has been going to the hospital for the past seven years. seven years to ask that question. Yeah, now you're asking (laughs) the question, do you think he's faking it? Even in his police abilities, he should be able to come to some sort of conclusion that I'm being conned or not. And that this discussion Mm -hmm. with professional medical staff would easily have been discussed or figured out long before seven years later. No, that's an excellent point. And it shows the weakness of the of the script writing, which there's a plenty. Uh, But that doctor, I mean, she was smoking (laughs) and a horrible actress. Atrocious <laughs> is the word you have to use. I mean, which leads yeah, me to my really cut it. I've which seen like high school drama productions where a 15 year old kids turned in a better performance. He gets out of prison. This is how he gets out. This is the most complicated part of the movie. So he is having a medical exam of some sort. Oh, no, sorry. He has a visit. He gets a visitor. A visitor comes into the. Okay, that's right. So a visitor. Yeah. Not a visitor. An inmate sits at him at supper. So somebody he's never met before, sit, and we as an audience member has not has not seen before, sits at the table. He looks like a greasy, he's got a long hair, beard. Kind of looks like a creepy guy, like he's a molester of some sort, like he's in jail because he molested somebody. And so he's sitting at the table with Modine's character. He's like, have we met before? He- hey, I'm Lucas. Just got in. Yeah. 72-hour psychiatric evaluation. It's voluntary. Do I know you? You seem familiar. No, you don't know me. But I know you. How's that? Read all about you. Saw all those news stories about you and that bank robbery. Well, then you know more about it than I do. I know that you're not guilty. At least not for everything they're accusing you for. How long you been here? Seven years. I bet you're missing life outside these walls. I'd bet even more that you're desperate to get out. We're led to believe that the that the connection is he was in on the heist. He's part of the gang that helped operate. So now he's got into the inside of the prison to get him out so they can go find the money where it was hidden. Because the only surviving member where knows where the money is the one person with amnesia. He says, take this pill after we're done supper, and this pill will get you out of the hospital. What's that? 
What if I told you I can get you out of here? I'd say you're crazy. You mean to tell me after all this time you spent in here, you can't tell the difference between these nut jobs and me? Damn, I'm good. How would you get me out of this place? As much as I like to take credit for all this, I got some help. Why are you doing this? I got 20 million reasons. If you read my case, you'd know that I don't have any memory of what happened to me before I was sent to this place. Look, you want to get out of here? This is your chance. I'd say sleep on it, but I'm being discharged tonight, so you got to make a decision quick, because the clock is ticking. Trust me. Why would I trust you? You got any better options? Everything's going to be all right. That's basically the setup. And he says, I'm I'm new here. I'm only I'm only here for 72 hours and they're going to take me out. But then even though in the same conversation, he says that he's been discharged tonight. So he, he contradicts his own story. I, it was hard to not find the fault in the script. He tells Modine's character, I, I, I'm here for 72 hours. But then, then during the same conversation, he says, I'm being discharged tonight anyways. So he takes a pill and Modine's character starts getting sick. And then the next scene is him lying in the, in the uh, infirmary with a nurse and the doctor. She takes him out of the facility in her in the trunk of her car. I mean, we don't see him leaving. It's ridiculous. So the nurse who, now I figured out her age in real life, like what this is. So her name is Metal Williams. During this movie, oh. yeah. Are you talking about which one, the blonde hair one? IMDb destroys her. Okay, <laughs> you, right. could, you could tell that she had plastic surgery. So I couldn't tell if she was an old-looking 30-year-old or a young-looking 60-year-old. So it was, in, it was in between. She was 52 in the film. But it threw me off when something was re- revealed later because I was like, oh, I can't tell her age and what the... Con-. Anyways, she says, you know, she's the nurse. She says, there, there, you'll, you'll feel better. Mac, how are you feeling? Like I was poisoned. The side effects will only last a few hours. Here, take this. It will help calm you down. Cut to the next scene. The same nurse is leaving the prison, and we have the security guard. She's showing more security for somebody leaving the prison who works there. You show me what's in your bag. You done for the day? Uh, Just finishing out the week. Go ahead and sign this. I'm going to have to have you open up that bag for me. Certainly. Just returning these to county. Uh, Dr. Nichols signed off on it. Let's get you to open up the back as well. Okay, give me a second. Let me just say that had the security officer done the same amount of security in 9-11, we'd have a different world history right now. (laughs) (laughs) And and Doug, I mean, I don't know where your experience cuts off here, but you being an officer. Are you a police officer, Doug? Have you... Yes. Check. (laughs) Wouldn't those security check like sort of happen as you're leaving the building building. itself? Yeah. The building. Yeah. You have to walk through metal detectors. They scan you. They search your bags, your personal property before you even leave the building. Yeah. It seems like by the time you're in your car, it's too late. For the most part. Yeah. We get the idea this is a very high security type prison. The amount of scrutiny that this security guard was giving an official worker there, a nurse no less, of like, let me check your bag. I've got to check your trunk. And the security guard behind the nurse was yelling, hey, let her through. Come on. We got to go here. They were working together, obviously. But 
interesting. We didn't even see how Matthew Modine's character got from the hospital bed to the trunk of the car. So we're led to believe that they were just able to arbitrarily walk through the hallways, or how did they how did they mobilize this half intoxicated into the and how did they convince him to get into the trunk of the car? He has no memory of why not just have him take the pill and then the next shot is him waking up wherever they took him. It would have avoided us questioning the procedure that they used to get him out. I just want to, our chats lighten up a little bit. Uh, we've got a visitor in the chat room. My brother Ruben has uh, piped in and chimed in. Uh, former hey, Ruben, former, and uh, hopefully one day he'll co-host again on the Going the Distance podcast. He's just been cutting and pasting some incredible reviews from IMDb. So if you go into the chat, you'll see those. But one that was kind of funny here was this is somebody defending the film and probably speaking to us says, "I thought the film was excellent." People always moan and slag films off when they either don't make films themselves, not knowing how hard it is to make a film. I hate that argument, by the way. Yeah, that's uh, nobody intends to make a bad film, but they happen. And more bad films happen than good films. It's commendable that everybody did what they did. But we can criticize this because I've directed two short films, one that won an award. I feel like I am qualified to call this a bad movie. To whoever that IMDb reviewer was. The hardest part about a film, I think, is getting the money behind it. Because mm-hmm. I, I think, honestly, if you us three were given $6 million, a $6 million budget to make any kind of film we want. I'm not saying it would be the best film yes. of the year, but I guarantee you it would be better than Backtrace. Backtrace wasn't made to be a good movie. It was made to cost $6 million and get a half million dollar return. <laughs> I mean, and whatever they sold it to streaming for. I mean, it's streaming, right? You're right. You're absolutely right. It's the streaming rights. They sold it to Netflix here in Canada. They sold it to yeah. Hulu. They sold so, it. Yeah, of course. It makes even money. Even if they made yeah. $2 million, all said and done, after the theatrical run and whatever licensing they got, that's $2 million on a $6 million investment. Most people would take that, right? Of course. It probably made its money back. And just like you said, getting to somebody like Sly coming in had. Somebody else starred in that same role that Sly was in. Do you think we'd be talking about Backtrace ever in our life as a movie? No. So there you go. No, because I've scrolled past all those Bruce Willis movies you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've scrolled past every one of them. Well, talking about the cast a little bit, it's also this same cast of like greasy characters. They're all in this guy's movies. He uses the same cast for all of his movies. He's kind of like the, he's kind of like the Rob Zombie of straight-to-video uh, action films. He uses all the same characters, the same cast of characters for all of his movies. I thought you were going to say Martin Scorsese. Yeah, I should have. Yeah. <laughs> now this guy's gotten out of prison. They now take him to a house. To, and they basically say, look, we brought you to this house. We'll get to the house later. But we brought you to this house because we want to inject you with a exper- an experimental serum that has been used to help people who have lost their memory to get their memory back. There's an and it 80- kills twenty percent of the people, right? It, well, works on eighty percent. It works on eighty percent of the people. Okay, here's the numbers. I think I memorized it. It works on eighty percent of the people to get back up to forty percent of memory, and the twenty percent of the people that it doesn't work on it just kills them. So basically, if you don't get forty percent of your memory back, the alternative is you you die. This is an LPT enhancer. A what? A drug that stimulates the frontal lobe of the brain, which controls memory. <sighs> Look, I've been stuck with every truth serum and memory enhancer ever invented. Not this one. How do you figure? Because it just finished clinical trials. Over 80% of the patients who took this regained almost 40% of their memory. What happened to the other 20%? They died. 
I have no recollection of what happened to me in my past. And I'm not gonna let you guys fry my brain trying to figure it out. There is $20 million in cash hidden out there. And we believe that you know where it's stashed and we're not the only ones looking for it. So if you wanna survive the next couple days, I suggest you start working with us. Hey, there's an 80% chance this stuff will work. Yes. What are the side effects? Go ahead and tell them. It's not going to be pleasant. Dizziness, vertigo, possible hallucinations, and those headaches of yours are gonna get much, much worse. Good news is, you remember where you buried the money, and we all prosper. This doesn't work by itself. We're going to have to expose you to some places from your past. So you th think this is gonna release my memories? It takes about 15 minutes to start working. Okay. I'm gonna need you to remain incredibly still. You're gonna wanna bite down on this. Trust me. It has to be injected directly into your spinal. Holding <laughs> down. Mac, I'm sorry. This is gonna hurt my tail. Hold him. <laughs> it seems like a high risk, low reward there. Why does it kill you if it doesn't get the memory back? You could argue. And why is it injected into the spine too? It, it seems like something that should be intravenous, right? I mean, it's it's some kind of chemical. It goes um, into the spinal cord. The spinal cord. Yeah. Ugh. And I hate needles. I admit, when they put the needle in the back of the neck, I was like, I'm not watching. I turned away. I can't watch. This brings up another thing I wanted to talk about. Yeah. And this is sort of like the backtrace $6 million budget checklist. We've got a police station set. We've got a <laughs> mental hospital set. We've got an abandoned house set. And we've got this meatpacking plant. Check. So they've got four locations. Boom, build a movie around it. Uh, Ruben just chimed in again. He said, casting was done by Emmett Furla, who engaged with various, quote, investor actors to finance the film. Oh, okay. The bozo or the bimbo that we saw, she probably put up 100 grand. Investor actress Meadow Williams bought her role in the film by playing producers Emmett Furla and invested in the film, quote, unquote, boss level and later. <laughs> it's like a Kickstarter. <laughs> ten, oh. 10 minutes gone. Her role had to be mainly cut out due to her inability to act or even show up knowing any of her lines. <laughs> Actors Modine and Guzman spent hours rehearsing with her to try to teach her acting 101, but the gold digger who had, <laughs> <laughs> who had conned the billionaire out of over $800 million had absolutely no skills or talent and was mostly cut from the final film. That sounds a little subjective to be like, I am. Well, it sounds trivia. like the it sounds like the person that wrote that might be the person that got ripped off. $800 million. But can you imagine how frustrating it is for Matthew Modine? I was directed by Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. And now I'm on the set of this movie with this boss level investor. Oh my God. Oh, Meadow Williams was, was in another one of the films we put up for the poll. Reach me. She's in reach me as well. <laughs> Salon connection. Yeah. That is hilarious. I'm just Did we figure out what the third movie was too? What was the third movie we would put up for vote? Come on, mine was mine was this movie. I, can't, I picked it and I can't remember it. <laughs> That's horrible. No, I picked Backtrace. Oh, you did? No, I picked I picked the the third unknown movie. You picked Reach Me, Ryan. Okay. I remember weird. the I remember the chat. That's weird that we can't remember the third movie. I, I can't even find the poll. I, I tried to look for it. Hang okay, on. so at least now it explains that they had to put up with this bad acting because the people paid to be in the movie. 
Yeah, it looks like it. What was Sly's donation? <laughs> it had to be a favor. There's, you know, deals you make in Hollywood, right? Where you say, I'll get you down the road or I owe you one or something. When Sly was filming Balboa, he needed that van or something. You know, they gave him that van and they said, down the road, make sure when I call you. Okay, so they're at the house. The truth serum has been given, or sorry, the memory serum has been given to Matthew Bodine's character. So at the house, we should say we have the nurse, we have the guard, and then we have the prison inmate. All these people have been a part of Matthew Modine's character. His name is McDonald. Prior to the, uh, the him coming to the house. So he goes, you're not really a nurse. You're not really a security guard at the hospital. And you're not really a prison inmate. Okay. Obviously, you guys know who I am. Who are you? You're not a security guard. You're not. Crazy. Are you a nurse? I was in a former life. You know, you guys are all working together. It says, yeah, we have 20 million reasons to why we want to work together. So we brought you to this house because we've heard that when you use this memory serum, people need to go to a place where they knew something about or they had a history. You know right away as a viewer, well, this must be the guy's house. Because he goes to the fireplace mantle and he holds on to it like he's transferring the energy of the fireplace mantle through his hands and his, into his memory banks. Fragments. Memory. <laughs> Images. I know this place. And he's doing that. We're like, okay, this is the guy's house. Okay, there's your first clue. This guy used to live here. Obviously, the people that used to live here aren't there anymore. So the three individuals are like, oh, this is exciting. You know, He's getting some of his memory back. We're ready to take him to the next big location, which is where the money was buried. So they figured the two locations was his home. Okay. And now that his memory's coming back, they're going to take him to the uh, cement factory where the money was buried. But before we get there, a cop who's just doing his rounds comes to the house because I guess he's just driving property. Afternoon, officer. Afternoon. You got business here? This is private property. Place has already been foreclosed. You told me the title was clear. It is. I'm sorry, sir. Uh, I was only out here because uh, the bank had listed it for auction. You say you're out here looking at buying this property? Yes, sir. I needed a place to run my horses. Really? How about you show me some ID? Yep. Three, four, eight, go ahead. Give me a sec. Three, four, eight, I copy. You can show me around. Folks, I got a clear. Like I said, this is private property. Have the proper documentation if you're going to be here. Yes, sir. Doug, uh, you're a police officer, and I do want to ask, is it against the law to not have ID on you? No. So why do cops in movies do that? Show me some ID. I don't have any. Like, what would happen? I don't have any ID on me. Sorry. If you're a person of interest, they would have to verify who you are. If you don't have an ID on you, we could bring you back to the station and fingerprint you and send it to the state police, and they, they can return you know, a result. Okay, so no result um, comes in, then what? There's very little we could do at that point. So why don't they just play it like that? So the guy, so you know what? You're right, officer's private property. We just, uh, we were curious, looking through the house. We heard, we heard some crazy story about a, a mass murder that happened here. Curiosity got the better of us. Oh, we're leaving now, sir. And this is all serious. How much grief do you give somebody who's on private property? Do you say, just go home, leave? Or do you actually? Yeah, I mean, for the most part. I would probably check the house to make sure there was no damage or, you know, they weren't squatting or doing drugs in there or something. Okay. Ryan, they needed to kill four minutes. Yeah, that's yeah, true. It was so tense. Pre- Why was Matthew Modine's character freaking out so much because there was a police officer there? No, I think it was the reaction to the drug. 
Because late in the movie, he saw law enforcement come. He goes, law enforcement, they're here to kill us. Remember, he said that. Yeah. It was weird. I thought the cop was going to get killed too, Ryan. I thought that, he, that movie trope was going to get you know, played. Wait, you, why he, he freaked out about the cops thinking that he, they're going to kill him is because he struck a deal with the cop, the FBI guy, Shooter and, and the other two guys, Shooter McGavin and the other two guys, Okay, and they tried to kill him. Fragments coming back. Fragments. Fragments. I, fragments. During the shootout at the beginning of the movie, it wasn't a cop that was killing him. The FBI agent played by Christopher McDonald, he purposely – sent people that wasn't him to keep him out of the circle. It was a bit it was like mob guys were doing the killing. So I guess you could argue what all law enforcement's connected to the mob. That's what his brain was like I guess this is a weird throwaway line. It's law enforcement. They're here to kill us. That's what he said. Like what? Oh twenty twenty maybe, but uh you know. oh. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I'm just joking. A bullet to the head, by the way, was the other Stallone movie. Was that what it was? Okay. Yeah, that that was my pick. And that didn't win. Oh, Craig, you're on. Uh, you're Craig, on. you're on mute. My wife's using the blender, so. Oh. oh. I can't believe that I didn't vote for Bullet to the Head. I think people honestly want us to suffer because Bullet to the Head is actually a decent film. It it's not a horrible watch. This was a horrible watch. This was like the longest ninety minutes we've done in a long time. It was an hour and twenty seven minutes. I and I noticed that, and I kept looking. I actually, how many times did you look at the time when you were watching this? Honestly. Oh, I, Every three minutes. <laughs> yeah, I saw I saw that this was an hour and 27 minutes long. I'm like, this is going to be a quick watch. But remember, I, I told you guys that I was trying to slog through this to make sure I got it done. And I'm like, God, it's got to be close to, to over. And there's still like 36 minutes left. I'm like, come on. I saw that, too, because they get to like they get to that factory and yeah. there's like well over a half hour left. And I'm like, where are they going to go? Like, yeah. what? there's nothing left to do. Well, How much time is wasted stalking around corners and through buildings? Oh, it, so it, much time. So much time in that factory. Let's talk I about- use that skip 10 second button like yes. <laughs> 100 times. Okay, so for, for those who don't know this, I didn't know this until I, I heard rumors that this was going to happen on Netflix. And it's only on your PC slash laptop. If you watch Netflix on your PC or laptop, you have the option to watch your show up to 1.25 or one and a half second faster. Every scene that was not a Stallone scene, I watched it at one and a half seconds. And at the Stallone scenes, I actually watched it at 1.25. Got through it that much faster. Because when they're at the cement factory, remember when they're looking for the money? The cops said that they looked through that factory for months. The guys were there for five minutes. Nothing here. Nothing over here. They weren't even turning anything over. They weren't looking behind it. They were just looking in the open space. So the cops were there for months at a time. <laughs> they didn't find anything, but their search happened to be just looking, basically poking their head around the corner. Oh, no bags of money there. Nope, oh, no, no bags of money. I think the cops would have found a big double bag of money in months of search. Well, like and like you said, Ryan, they didn't have any kind of high tech equipment that you can scan with or something. We should mention that the FBI agent that was there to help with the case was the guy that double-crossed both Stallone's character, of course, the law enforcement, but also double-crossed McDonald's character at the beginning. So that was the inside man, was an FBI agent to get this money, to help, he helped facilitate the bank robbery, blah, blah, blah. Why were these three guys recruited again to rob the bank? What didn't have something to do with the cement factory, that there was some sort of foreclosure or they were desperate for money? Well, how did Hold they on. get... Hold on, I got this. Okay. <laughs> it's not going to make any sense, but I got it. Okay. <clears throat> The cement factory took out a thirty million dollar line of credit from that bank. All right, uh, oh, and yeah. 
and they used their employees' pensions as collateral. The cement factory ended up filing for bankruptcy after taking annual bonuses of $24 million. I guess what they did was they gypped all their employees out of the pensions, took the money from the bank, and kept it instead of helping out their employees or paying their it's employees. It's very timely. It's like an Enron thing. I guess it kind of is. So right? that now kind of makes sense of how they were able to justify the characters at the end of the film walking away with the money because it's kind of it's you know the money was corrupt or it was going to it may as well go to innocent people okay before we get to that his memory starts coming back spoiler okay this is a big spoiler for those who have not seen the movie and you think that you may, might want to still see the movie this is the uh, sixth sense m night Shyamalan spoiler alert the three people who got him out of the hospital the nurse is his wife. The two men are his sons. I was shocked when he said it was his wife. Yes. She looked so much younger than him, and she looked way too young to have grown-up children. But the ages actually matched. The plastic surgery helped her a little bit because she's actually 50. The actress is legitimately, she, Meadow Williams is 52 at the time of the filming of, this, of that movie, and Modine was only 59. So it's only a seven-year difference. So, uh, that's very, very normal. And the kids... The two actors, uh, the one that played uh, the older boy, he was 31. So that means uh, they had him when they were in their early 20s. That's all. So it's all legit. The ages were actually were legit with the actors and the characters. Other son, Farron, his name Farron. I could not find his age anywhere online, but I would assume he's about the same. Sir Robert, who said he fell asleep, he's in our chat. He fell asleep watching the film. He didn't know about the spoiler. His response was OMG times three. <laughs> I think, and I suspect he's being like, oh my G, that's a horrible twist. Yes, it was his family. And so, so the bad guys come to the cement factory because now the family, McDonald and his family, if they've reconciled, they got their dad back, they're looking for the money. He's on board to find this money with his kids and his wife. And the bad guys come, and a shootout ensues, kills the son. So one son is dead, and he grieved a little bit, I guess. There's a little bit of grieving. I remember. I remember. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Move on. Yeah, it was horrible. And remember when Modine's character told Sly that, like, Sly heard that his son, yeah, I heard about your son. This money cost me my son's life. Sorry about that. But I'm sure it'll get you where you want to go. Yeah, I heard about that. Sorry. That's too bad. It was a very, like... <laughs> Uh, the bad guys come to, uh, at the same time, as a shootout. They're, they grab the money. So one son has died, okay? They're getting surrounded by the bad guys. I don't mean to, to uh, cut you off, but oh, I just ahead. finally found the poll. And, Doug, you picked Zookeeper. Oh, I did. I did. Which got 23.8% wow. of the vote. I wish we watched yeah. Zookeeper. I knew it wasn't Bullet to the Head because I would have voted for that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Bolt the Heads, like I said, it's a great film. It, like, it's really not a bad film at all. Watching that right now after seeing this would actually be a good palate cleanser. 
Okay, so there's a line that just killed me, and I please maybe you guys could help me exp- or have you guys explain to me and the listeners how this makes sense. So one of their family's been shot and killed already by the bad guys. The bad guys are are looking for the money that the good good bad guys have found. McDonald family. They say grab the money. I quote: "It's the only thing keeping us alive." They would have been killed anyway. Whether they, or not they had the money. The the bad, bad guys, they don't even have to look for the money. The money's been recovered by the McDonald's, okay? Mm-hmm. Or McDonald and his wife and surviving son. They actually have the money, but the money was left behind somewhere. And the, the son called out, or, the, or I think it might have been the wife. She said, grab the money. It's the only thing keep us alive. I want to say, uh, other than the dead son... This money hasn't kept anybody alive. In fact, it's, it's the opposite. It's the only thing killing you guys. If you just threw the money at them and ran away, you'd probably get away. They'd be grabbing the money and, in fact, if you dump the money out, you know, like they do in movies, dump it out on the ground, and the bad guys would have chased after the money while you ran away. Not if they can implicate the feds. I, I don't know if you, if you even touched upon this, Ryan, but the bad guys in this movie are the feds. Are they just straight up feder- federal agents? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. The two guys in the beginning, they're all part of the same squad. The two guys in the beginning. Okay. The other guy that was with him, the guy with the tight black shirt, you know, and the khakis and the rifle, he was with Shooter McGavin at the police station. I'm I'm spit you know spitballing here. I I don't know if they were, but they all seemed like they were. They came, they rolled in black suburbans. You know, it just seemed like a federal agent thing. I I thought it was the FBI guy in charge just having some hired help, like thugs. I thought they were all feds. Either way. Great I mean, tiebreaker. What were they? The feds were the bad guys. Yeah. I'm with Doug. Okay. All right. But the uh, but we're led <laughs> to believe. Matter. I, don't, I just don't care. I, I, I just <laughs> – uh, it's irrelevant. Sure, they were federal agents. Okay. But the thing is we're led to believe for most of the movie that right from the beginning that Matthew Modine is the bad guy. And it turns out he was just a good guy trying to help his family. So he steals $20 million. He was the, he was the Les Mez character. He stole a loaf of bread for his family. He took money from the bad guys to take care of his family. He kept saying, nobody was supposed to get killed. Nobody was supposed yeah. to get hurt. And we're just, we're yeah. taking money from a bad company who screwed us over. We're just... So he's not a bad person. He what he did was wrong. You still can't take money, even if it was even if it was fraudulent money. You're a police officer, right? You can't take money from evidence. Like you, even though it's criminal money, you're still not allowed to take it. It's, yeah, right, right. He's not a murderer, and he's or conspiracy to commit murder. He's just a robber. Made a bad decision at a desperate time. He's going to lose his money, and he has saw a crime of opportunity, took it, and it and it went wrong for him. So. Stallone's character leaves, finally leaves the station. But do you want to? Do we want to talk about what they had set up on the board for this seven-year crime that they're trying to figure out? Was that? Well, it's like the classic pyramid of corruption. String. Well, they had with the yeah. yarn with the yarn connecting points. Yeah, yeah, key points. It, I think it's supposed to show that you know Sly's character is you know a little bit old school. Doesn't really have a, he doesn't have a computer graph. It's all you know. It's that visual te- uh, textile layout of the pictures and the. Do they do that in the cop stations? Still detective work? Do no, they have- <laughs> no. There are no big boards. There's like <laughs> that software now, like detective. Yeah, or, or there's a file. You know, like a file that you that you compile your your notes. You know, you mean you don't walk into the office and say, "Hey, I'm going to add something to that board." You bring in a picture, and I will say this is an effective tool for like. I mean, if you remember like the TV show The Wire, they had the big. Yes, I love that. You yeah. know how they broke down the whole enterprise. 
visually it it works. I mean, in this movie, it was worthless. But okay, well, did you look at the board? It was confu- It was horrible. It was like a six year old put it together. None of it made sense. The, the wires going everywhere. The pictures were scattered. It was a horrible layout to begin with. For a crime like this, where there's so few people involved, you don't need all that shit. Yeah, yeah. in the wire, there's a real criminal enterprise with a lot of players that they have to kind of put together so yeah that's more of a puzzle than a three-person operation <laughs> sly's whole acting role for that was standing in front of that board let's have a little fun here because that's what we're here for right what if sly's character that police station used to be an orange julius <laughs> and it became a police station and they couldn't fire him <laughs> So then he's just sitting at the board doing what he thinks he's connected to. Oh, man. Did you notice his hair? Yeah. Straight hairline like it's – Like they drew it on. Okay. Look, he's 72. Bless his heart. He's a a strong – I love Sly. Uh, Look, but what I love about Clint Eastwood – this is an example. What I love about Clint – you uh, just he ages like I'm an old man and I'm just old. I'm 85. Whatever his movies are, you you never look at Clint and says I think he's trying to hide his age. No, he, I mean he looked old since the spaghetti westerns. Like he's always just been a very rugged, older looking person. That's there's no shame that I think with Slide. I this I know he never listens to our show and I'm not trying to shite on him, but it's just there's a part of me is like it just it's okay to be old. But then he couldn't have been in this movie, and that gets back to the problem. Yeah. After Creed, he had an opportunity to pivot. And get that that Clint Eastwood career, but for whatever reason, vanity, ego, I don't know. He doesn't want to go that direction. I will say this. Through most of the 80s, Sly had a fierce battle with his brother, a hair battle that Sly soundly won. But you know what? Frank has won the war. Because Frank's hair in 2020, it looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this movie was the first time I've noticed that uh, his plugs were pretty were pretty prominent. <laughs> it's that ridiculous, like it's like a straight hairline, like yeah. it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> like it's tattooed on. Yeah, the, the verdict is in. It's true. I've always kind of wanted to believe, but this was a the die job was strong in this one, and the uh, plugs in the back. <laughs> where you, there's there's a couple parts where you turn around. It's just. You could see, I like, we're talking about the force or something. I don't want to turn this into a podcast where we bash slides. We're not bash. Look, okay, here's the thing the guy's worth 500 million. He's adored and loved by many, me included. But mm-hmm. what makes this film hard to watch, I hate to say, is the fact that he's 72 and he's pl- he's trying to play a role where somebody at 65 is forced retired. This, the events at the beginning of the movie took place seven years later, so there's no way around that we can guess he shouldn't be in this film. Like, there's no reason why Sly should be in the film. Well, you know what? If he gave a shit, if anybody gave a shit, they could have had seven years ago, Sly was retiring. It's his last day on the job or whatever. He picks up this case. Then he retires. He's got no choice. And then he gets called, not in an official capacity, but he gets visited. He's retired. Hey, this guy broke out of the psych ward or whatever. Can you give us some insight onto how? And then he's working as like a civilian liaison. Or if he like worked the case when it initially happened. So you work this case. What can you 
Exactly. Well, can you tell us yeah. about the initial robbery? And that young cop that worked with him, he's now the head detective, right? He says, look, I've always, I've, you know, you you knew the most about this case. It's reopened because the guy got out of, you know, do you mind just if I bend your ear a little bit? And then the same thing happens. Hey, you know, just so you know, I'm at the warehouse like you thought. You, you were right all along. Your, your gut was correct, but nobody's listening to me at the precinct. I'm going there now. Then he hears the gunshots. He grabs his weapon from his house and goes to the cement factory and takes care of business. I thought the cleverest writing point in this movie was when wow. the other cop got shot in his vest, by the way, which would have saved his life, wouldn't have killed him. Anyhow, none of those vests work. They all got killed with vests on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But he drops his phone and 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 oh, Sly can still the best hear the, phone ever. Yeah, <laughs> it says Sykes real bigger. He hears everything. Yeah. Since we were talking about Clint Eastwood. If you guys remember the Dirty Harry series, the last entry in the Dirty Harry series was 1988, mm. The Deadpool, and that movie is basically about Dirty Harry being an old man. Do you want to guess how old Dirty Harry was? Okay, give me a second. Give me a second. In 88? How old Clint Eastwood was an actor? As a yeah, actor? yeah. Well, I know he's 80. Let's say he's 85 now. So that was 30, 32. So he's like 54, 53? He was 58. Okay. All right. Yeah. And they're playing him up as, you know, Dirty Harry. Oh, you know, you, I'm too old for this shit. And, you know. Yeah. yeah he's 58 years old. He's close to retirement. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah he played yeah, his yeah. age. It's just funny. So I'm not making fun of somebody's appearance in the way that I am a little bit, but part of well, me, I'm, I'm doing it because it doesn't fit the movie. In all fairness, Al Pacino's doing this shit too. Yeah. Fair. Mm-hmm. There's a, a handful of Al Pacino movies on streaming services where he's doing his heat roll. 25 years later and again he's got to be a good five or six years older than sly yeah 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 i also don't want to sound like you know i'm berating you guys for making fun of sly's appearance because like the whole movie i was looking at him too going what the and his his eyebrows are so well they're painted and painted on looks looks surprised all the time because they're so high and again that's the frustrating thing is he's had two opportunities at least to pivot in his career and he didn't in, in his later career, let's say. No, three, so starting funny. with Copland. Copland, mm-hmm. Balboa, and then Creed. I guess he just likes making these kinds of movies. But why? Yeah. But why does he like it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we still have to do Escape Plan 2 and 3. This is going to be this is gonna be rough. Because apparently Escape Plan 2, according to IMDb, its rating is about the same as this. So fans and critics gave it about the same fresh rating. Well, Sly said Escape Plan 2, Hades, is – or The Extractors. I don't remember which. I think it's Hades. Hades is number two. Is He said that's the worst movie he's ever made. Did he watch Backtrace? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I've also heard that he's barely in – Hades as well like sure we have to figure out how to do these if we're going to do everything that Sly's ever been in and he has bit parts in some of these films we have to figure out how we're going to cover because it's, it's a Sly kind of, podcast not a Matthew still- Modine podcast or a David Bautista podcast it's a Meta Williams podcast <laughs> <laughs> the Shooter McGavin podcast <laughs> well I, I I hear you but part of me is kind of like it's just fun to talk. I don't care. People can listen he's to not a poster movies. for this one. I mean, if it's implied that he's the star of the movie, I think it's fair. You know, I don't think we need to sit down and do like a full review of Taxi 3 or whatever that French movie he had a right. cameo in. It's on YouTube as well, his cameo scene. It, it literally yeah. is three minutes. Yeah. French movie. Yeah. It's not the Queen Latifah, Jimmy Fallon movie. Oh, that's what I thought you were. So. <laughs> 
So let's just say, yes, Sly's character comes, he saves the day, shoots all the bad guys. He gets every bad... I think minus maybe one or two, but he kills all the bad guys. And he had way more shots fired than probably bullets he was carrying. You think? He unloaded multiple times. Uh, yeah, it was... Uh, Rounds go quick when you're, when you're rapid firing. They go quickly. And again, this is the frustrating thing about having a Sylvester Stallone on your set. Sylvester Stallone that doesn't care because the action in this movie, it didn't matter. There was no logical layout to it. You had no sense of proximity. You know, it was just guns shooting for the sake of gun shooting. And that's the frustrating thing about watching this movie is Stallone was there for whatever reason. He didn't care enough to say, you know what, maybe you put a camera there, you put a camera there, we do this kind of blocking, and then, boom, in the editing room, we've got a great action sequence. The one thing about the shooting scenes that I think were realistic was a lot of missed shots. He wasn't he wasn't shooting a chain holding up a sign in the dark from 30 yards away. Shout out to Tango and Cash. It was, no, that was, uh, sorry, don't tell me Stop that was. My mom Stop my mom shooting. Yeah, yeah, that's right, you're right. So yeah, a lot again, of rounds please? fired and a lot of shots missed. I thought Tango oh, okay. and Cash too, but there's an impossible shot in that movie. Stop her, my mom shoot. <laughs> Stop her, my mom shoot. Sucked. <laughs> I would rather watch that again. I mean, oh, oh. I watch that movie again, but I went downstairs and my wife was like, "Hey, let's watch Backtrace." <laughs> Get out. <laughs> Pack your shit and leave. I know this sounds cliche, but can somebody shoot me in the head so I forget this film? Do <laughs> <laughs> well, you want amnesia? <laughs> and then, how lazy of an ending is this? Oh, we're good. that's the killer. Okay, oh. so there's a okay, before you get before you get to it. Let's just say what. Oh, happens. hold on, I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll okay, take care yeah. Of it. Before you, we get to it though. So no, but that's what he says. I'll take care of it. Okay, no, I, this way we got to set up for those who aren't watching this film. So all the bad guys have been killed. Of. The surviving. The all of this the whole time on the cell phone that's been sitting on the ground. Mm-hmm. Say again, last. What do you say? Stallone's been hearing all of this while he's driving. He's heard conversations, right? But I'm saying he he arrives and he shoots he all the bad guys. Right. So he shoots all the bad guys. He knows that the FBI agent's corrupt. He's now dead. There's dead bodies everywhere. He's still a detective. He's still a detective, right? You know, he still has a paperwork to fill out or something the, and the, a seven-year open case <laughs> seven-year open case he's got the dead brother the dead bad guys is the cop is his partner dead yeah so his partner's dead well yeah he, he comes face to face with mac for the first time who's got his wife one son and his other son died sylvester stallone tells him like just take the money and and go you you earned it you paid your, uh, you paid your debt. Yeah, and he's and uh, and Modine says, "What you know? What about my my dead son? I'll take care of it." There you go. It's all yours. I heard the whole thing. Seven years you served. Good enough. We'll call that time served. This money cost me my son's life. Sorry about that. But I'm sure it'll get you where you want to go. Where could I possibly go? I wouldn't be spending the rest of my life looking over my shoulder. I'll take care of it. And my son? 
care of that too. Thank you, detective. Uh, oh, he's, he also said, I don't want to, I don't want to go the rest of my life looking over my shoulder. I'll take care of it. How are the, the hell are you going to take care of that? <laughs> we don't need to make any more movie. I think right now, if we were to come up with a better ending, a better even dialogue, I th- I'm sure we could. I don't want to waste too much of our time, but it's kind of like, like you could almost have it where Sly takes some of the money. So, you know, give me five million. I'll keep your mouth shut. Like it's a, I'm going to give you $20 million. You still committed a crime. Why is he off the hook completely? He's not an innocent person. He's got a seven-year case and a bloodbath that he's got to explain now when the feds are going to show up, right? I mean, there's dead federal agents. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so Detective Sykes, what happened here? Well, I had a shootout. They got away with the money. My partner's dead. That's her dead son. All right, call a medic. I'm going home. I took care of it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I took care of it. Why did he feel this weird closeness to this poor victim, Matthew Modine? Because the movie was over. That's, I mean, that's the only explanation that makes sense. And they have that uh, arbitrary shot of him walking slowly to his car, you know, still out. (laughs) That that ending blew my friggin' mind. It was one of the worst endings I've ever, it's probably, well, it's the worst ending of any Sloan film. We have to make sure that this movie comes in in under an hour and 30 minutes. We're too close. We'll just end it by, you know, saying, I'll take care of it. The end. I would assume Party Kitty and Suds has better happy endings than this one. Well, you really should be ashamed bad. of yourself. <laughs> there, there, there probably should have been some recording feature on that cell phone that implicates Shooter McGavin. Shooter McGavin doesn't die. He gets arrested. And during the all the, the melee there, Modine slips away with the money. How does somebody mourn? The, the son's dead, but his memory still fragments. Like, how much... It's just I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It is really just a stranger. And there's a scene where he hugs his surviving son. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't even kiss his wife or anything. The first thing I would, you know, I guarantee you, the first thing they're doing on that uh, twenty million dollars, mm-hmm. they're going to buy a yacht and make some love on that yacht. You know, Meadow is Williams it, is it, not a bad looking woman. It, she's got a, you know, she's a good looking woman for fifty two. Yeah, was it permanent memory restoration? Good, good point. It didn't say. It just said it restored forty percent of their memory. No, it's not permanent because they said they had like a fifth. No, it took fifteen minutes to kick in. Okay, um, I, I don't. Sure. Permanent. <laughs> Does it really matter? Backtrace. What a pile of shit. <laughs> I remember when Doug said he's going to watch it today. He's like, I got to get through this. I didn't want to say anything. I'm like, I said, once he starts it, he's going to regret going through this. It's a hor- <laughs> I'm sorry. There's actually nothing good about this film. There's no. This is a one out of 10 or whatever the lowest ranking. And I don't do this to be funny, to be glib, to be clever. Lords of Flatbush, I'd rather watch. Every other movie that we've ever done, I'd rather watch. Yeah. This solely existed to make, to turn six million into eight million or whatever it was. And there, I mean, there's no artistic effort behind it. You know, everybody knew that they were there to make a profit. It, it was like investing in a stock. That's all it is. Everybody that Stallone owns a favor to has cashed in their favor at this point because we shouldn't have to subject ourselves to watching slide to meet himself like this. And I let's talk a little bit before we close here. I just I'm just curious what the behind the scenes is like Sly, you know, I, I do love him. He's got a great sense of humor and I understand that he's not an idiot. Like you see him working on the director's cut of Rocky Four. I know you haven't seen it, but the video footage that he's doing, he's smart about filming. Mm-hmm. He's smart about what to keep you know I understand he knows the rocket like every, like George Lucas knows Star Wars. Like that's his creation, right? I get it. But 
what's his jibber jabber with the crew off camera? Is he having fun with the director? Is is he smiling? Is he goofing around? Is he like, hey, this is fun, guys? Like, or is he like rolling his eyes profusely in his trailer? Like, what am I doing? This is embarrassing. On like, this movie? Yeah. I'm sure on this movie he didn't say four words to people when the camera wasn't rolling. You really think it was literally just in and out? Did he talk shop with Modine or Christopher McDonald? Did he – do you know what I mean by that? Like, I think everybody's embarrassed, right? If you're Shooter McGavin and you're on the set of this movie, you're embarrassed to be there, right? I think any seasoned actor would yeah. feel that way. So you almost don't talk about it because then it sort of puts a spotlight on how foolish – Everybody that's there that's a professional is being well, you, You're taking seasoned, established actors, and you're having them work with people who bought their roles. Boss level. <laughs> Boss level. I've ne- you know what? I've never heard of that before. I've never heard of that. I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't. So this was like a Kickstarter. So they paid to be in the movie. So Metal Williams, bless her heart, she paid for us to talk about her. After stealing the money from somebody, when, uh, at least that's what... Did she Doug steal $800 million? She gold dug, apparently, according to this. That's amazing. She was a gold digger. I kind of wish I Googled more about her because that is – I'm glad I didn't because that was like one of the highlights of the episode for me was learning that. Well, you, your brother kind of spelled it out too on Ruben in the chat. Why don't you give love to the uh, to Sir Robert? He, he uh, checked yeah, in a lot Yeah, thank today. you, Robert. Robert, thanks for joining us. Gerald Kessler's wife, Meadow Williams, wins legal victory in battle over $800 million fortune. She's worth $800 million. Can you imagine? More than Sly. More than Sylvester Stallone. Can you imagine weaseling your way into $800 million and being like, I want to co-star in shitty movies? What's it going to cost me? Yeah. Why not just disappear? This is incredible. Check this out, guys. Meadow Williams, 49. So this was three years before the film was made was left $800 million by vitamin tycoon husband Gerald Kessler after his death last March, so March of 2019. Judge has now thrown out his family's attempt to overturn his final wishes after they claim Williams manipulated him into changing his will. She got $800 million. She's a bored, multi-multi-millionaire. She said, I have $800 million to burn. I want to be in a movie. So she pays to play. She just says, here's $100,000 to help finance your movie and put, put me in a bit part. You, you think it's a tax write-off type thing as well? Can she write off the loss, spending like, whatever she spent to be in this movie? Like, like a, can her accountant be like, it's a business expense? I have no idea. Maybe or it's a like gift. a tax haven or something? This is more like a gift to, to a charity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's worth more than Sly. That's hilarious. <laughs> Almost double. <laughs> It just goes to show you what blonde hair and boobs will do. They marry that rich tycoon. He dies, and they get the money. It ha- it's happened so much in this world. Can you imagine that poor family? Sure. Yeah. 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 Of course. That piece of the pie. They got about sixty million dollars. It says. It's a lot less than eight hundred billion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could live on sixty million dollars, but. <laughs> all right. Well, that was for the whole family, right? They had to split it. Yes, yeah, for the all the kids. So who that knows? Awful. Well, who knows? Maybe his kids were pieces of garbage, too. Yeah, who knows? So anyways, there you go, guys. That is Backtrace. We've spent about an hour and a half on it-ish. Uh, we talked about Rocky Four, which was probably the highlight of this podcast. So if you made through this whole podcast, thank you, uh, Sir Rob and others who were in the chat. There was a few, of, a few of you. Yeah, Miguel chimed in. And there was a few of you that were listening. Ruben, my brother Ruben, came in. Yeah. I had no idea he was going to pop in. That was a nice... Uh, 
virtual chat for those who listen to the show and know Ruben as my uh, co-host on the Going the Distance podcast. We miss Ruben. We love and miss him. But I don't think he's ever coming back. I don't think he's ever coming back to the show. The invitation is open. Everyone knows that if Ruben decides to come back, the other co-hosts get curbed. Later. No, not quite like that. (laughs) I think at the very least it'd be like he'd come on every now and then. They join uh, Seiko in the the junk heap. (laughs) Let's just do final plugs here of your shows and feeds and... All right. Well, actually, uh, we've talked about Slycast, and since you mentioned it during the uh, the episode, Ryan, I would like to plug my monthly podcast. The first Friday of every month, I put out a brand new episode of Conversations at Jackrabbit Slims, which is a podcast devoted exclusively to the movie Pulp Fiction. Every episode, I sit down with another fan of that movie, and we talk for about 25 or 30 minutes about whatever we end up talking about. So it's not a breakdown of the movie it's not an analysis of the movie it, it is what it is sort of um, like this show and I, yeah and i've been it's having a, a breakdown of the movies it. i don't know what we talk about i don't know why we, do we ever i think we do a real terrible job every time we do this show i feel like it's a terrible <laughs> i feel like i listen to other movie review podcasts like man they know how to do that why i don't know but people seem to still listen but it's but just people kinda, have it's a lot of shows have a format Oh, you know, is that what we need? Like the best and worst um, of the movie, and we just kind of yeah. just rip right through. And but to be fair, guys, the reviews that we do get often say this: that it's about a. It feels like there was a bunch of guys talking about a movie, like sitting around having some beers. That it's not. Mm-hmm. It's a discussion. We don't have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but anyways, uh, but I just hope our yeah. listeners just know we love uh, talking about the movie. But yeah, we're not. If you want to know everything about the movie, go to Wikipedia. You know, we're just saying how we yeah. feel about it. Yeah. So, uh, again, I, I look forward to sitting down with you, Ryan, and you, Doug, individually for the show. And, and you, you both have open invitations. But it's Conversations at Jackrabbit Slims, first Friday of every month. If you just Google Conversations at Jackrabbit Slims, you'll find it. If you search it in your pod, whatever your favorite podcatcher is, or if you check out my um, my Twitter at Mr. Craig Cohen, you can find the link there as well. And I enjoy uh, the show. Well, thank you. I've been having a lot of fun doing it. It's it's a show I've wanted to do for a long time, and the pandemic has made it possible. Mm. I've done a lot during this pandemic. I compiled and edited and released a two-hour Ramones fan film. um, Wow. Where it's like a Ramones video scrapbook, uh, which is a ton of fun. That's on my my Vimeo page. If you go to my Twitter, um, I have a, um, a link page that links to everything I talk about. I started the Pulp Fiction podcast, which is something I wanted to do. In July, I wrote and recorded an instrumental concept album. So mm. uh, being out of work, it gives you a lot of time to do all the shit you've wanted to do. So, <laughs> we'll get And that. I have no idea when I'm going back to work. So, <laughs> All right. And I look forward to going on that show, actually. I do have stuff to say about Pulp Fiction. I'll save for the show. Whenever whenever you want, Ryan. I'm, I'm not doing anything. No, Roger that. Yeah. Likewise, I, I wanna I wanna get it fresh in the, in the mind. I haven't seen it in a, in a few years, so I wanna watch yeah, it. Yeah, I have it. two episodes in the bank right now, so I have October and November. Okay. So uh, okay, okay. Uh, I'll try to get on for December then. Doug, I'm one of the hosts of Rocky Minute. As I said before, we go through each of the Rocky movies and uh, analyze one minute of movie film at a time. We're spamming the uh, the feed as we speak with our past episodes. We want to catch up and maybe get a few new listeners since we joined the network. I think you are. You must be. People are they're being downloaded, so I don't know. Someone's listening that hasn't heard it before. I know people are listening that haven't heard it before. I know that for a fact. 
All right. Well, that's excellent. That's yeah. all I can ask for. It's been like two weeks since I since I put a block up because all my files disappeared into the cloud somewhere. And I just I had to I don't know. I spent the last couple of days grabbing them back and uh, okay. and bringing them down onto into my desktop. So I got to get back to releasing. But um, yeah, you can find us right right here with the uh, with, with these two fellas and and then this collaboration we got going on at the Sylvester Sloan Fan Podcast Network. All right, and uh, my feed, the Going the Distance, the Rocky Series and Creed podcast, is also on that same feed. It's great having it on with all you guys. Craig, I want you to come on the Worst of the Best podcast. That's my other podcast. Check out Doug, who's already guested on my Worst of the Best podcast. Both episodes will already be out when this gets released. We uh, broke down Anthrax, so there you go. I was really surprised at the feedback that you've gotten on that so far. That's been great. Yeah. I'm yeah. Looking. People seem to like that one. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Well, Doug, you did all the work. No, I didn't. <laughs> you kidding I, me? All right. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone, for watching and chatting. And uh, we'll do this again next month. Who knows what uh, dumpster fire that will be? But uh, <laughs> we are fans of Stallone. This is a <laughs> this is a, but this was a bit of a dumpster fire, and we treated it accordingly. So yeah, we we got to be honest. Yeah. And uh, all right, guys, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Later.